that features folks from all walks of life telling us of one childhood experience and how that event impacted who they are today. I'm your host, Jay Rehack, and like you, I've had my share of childhood experiences. Some of them have been really enjoyable, but some of them were actually quite painful. But I'd like to think that whatever's happened to me in my life has made me who I am today. Tell Me What Happened is sponsored by Sidelining Publishing, publishers of quality books, including Susan Salador's classics, One Little Act of Kindness, and I've Got Peace in My Fingers. Both of them are available wherever quality books are sold. All right, today I have as my guest a good friend of mine. Actually, it's a very good friend of my daughter's, and as a consequence, I became Alana's friend, so I don't want to pretend that I'm more of a friend than I'm not. It's more more my daughter's. But anyway, Alana Bennett. Alana is a screenwriter and a culture writer. Her work's been seen all over the internet, but you can also find it on Roswell, New Mexico, and the upcoming Exo Kitty. Welcome to the show, Alana Bennett. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited. Well, I'm fired up because I know you're a great storyteller. I don't want to put any pressure on you, but you are a great storyteller. Someone that I've known for a while and would love to hear some backstory on you as a person. So I'm going to mute myself in about a minute here, Alana, but I want you to know that when you're finished with your story, I'm going to ask you absolutely one question. And that one question is, how do you think the story that you tell us has impacted who you are today? So take it away, Alana. Thank you. I am so excited. I am nervous because usually I feel like a little writing mole rat just in my little office tip-tapping away versus I've never been much of a, a performer. I've never done a lot of verbal storytelling. So we will see how this goes, but I am excited for the prompt and the challenge. I will start with some background to this story that I'm telling this period of my life. But Basically, this story I've decided to tell today is about when I realized that my family had a lot less than other kids did financially. I did not really realize how much in poverty my family was until the time period of the story that that I will tell. So my family moved from Los Angeles to Portland, Oregon when I was about three. We never had much. We lived in a uh, one-bedroom apartment, so my brother had the bedroom. My mom took the couch. I had like a little nook that that my mom built. I was so young that it didn't really phase me, and and then we moved into a three-bedroom apartment after that, which felt like lavish to me. That I was, I was like, this is a mansion. (laughs) My I had a friend who's older brother had gotten his girlfriend pregnant and so both of them moved into the third bedroom when my brother went off to college and I had a nanny (laughs) and it was really my mom helping these two broke 18 year olds who had a baby but to me it felt like felt like I I had live in childcare. (laughs) I never really thought about anything that I lacked I felt like I had everything that I needed 
yeah, this three bedroom apartment was was very memorable to me. And then the time period that I'm focusing on kind of starts when my grandfather, Hugh Bennett, got cancer. He got melanoma in his early 80s. And my mother thought that she wanted to move to be closer to him in Orange County. And so we gave up our apartment. But I don't know exactly what happened here. Maybe I should ask my mom. I haven't circled back to this moment, but I don't remember exactly why, but we didn't move down to California yet. I will circle back to that because the story kind of ends with when we finally do move down to California. But at this point, we had given up our three-bedroom apartment, which was way out in what I think Portland calls the numbers. It was like 139th Street or something. It was like not the best neighborhoods. It was kind of just a dreary part of town, but we had this three-bedroom it was great. We gave it up. And because we had left our apartment and didn't move down to Orange County, we didn't really know what to do next. And so this is when my family, at this point, it was me and my mom, because my brother had moved out. We started living in motels. So we lived in a couple different ones. There was a main one that we lived in that was right near the Portland Convention Center. So that's like a very, it's not a really neighborhoody neighborhood. It's the convention center and a bunch of rundown motels. And then like there's a mall, there's McDonald's. It's like where the conferences are. And so this period was, we moved out of the three bedroom when I was ending third grade. And we moved into the motels at the beginning of right as I was entering fourth grade. So I was 10. I remember that we had two cats. And so it was two cats in a motel room with me and my mom. And I remember we had a hot plate for for cooking stuff. My mom was working at OHSU as a medical assistant. And it was an easy commute on the bus for her. And she gamed it so that the motels that we were living in also helped so that I could go to an elementary school in a cuter part of town. And so we were busing into a very cute, very idyllic area called Selwood Moreland, Selwood Westmoreland area of Portland, which is kind of what I have since come to consider my like hometown neighborhood. It's very, it's, it's very beautiful. There's a, a duck pond. It's like exactly what you think of when you picture Portland. It's green. It's super walkable. I remember starting fourth grade there and like walking to the Boys and Girls Club after and there would be like ducks crossing the street and all of the elementary school kids walking to the Boys and Girls Club stopping to help the ducks like not get hit in the road. It was it was very it wasn't a suburb, but it was kind of on the edge of where the suburbs started and it felt very like a part of a type of childhood I had never had access to but it was ironic because I was busing in from this very like city convention center kind of nothing neighborhood and living in this little one room motel with my mom and two cats and a hot plate as we tried to figure out like what to do (laughs) and so this was the period when I started to realize oh like I have a lot less than these kids have. Like these kids are living in really beautiful craftsman homes and like, and we just didn't have, we just didn't have money. I started to realize like, oh, I'm on free lunch and not all of these kids are on free lunch. I was late to school because like there was huge train tracks between my neighborhood and them. We were literally on the other side of the train tracks and the, and the big freight trains would, would go by for like a half an hour at a time and stop our bus. And yeah, I just started getting a lot. It was a lot more conspicuous to me at that point that I had less. And one particular moment that I remember is 
you know, at age 10, you're still growing a lot. I grew out of my shoes. My mom couldn't afford to replace them right away. And I'm not quite sure the details of getting a homeless kid into a new school. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes with the administration, but clearly they knew about our situation. And so I got pulled out of class and taken to this, at the time, it seemed like a magical place where that was just full of clothes and shoes. And they were like, take whatever you want. They gave me a big like garbage bag. And they're just like, take whatever you want. I got to like raid as many shoes as I wanted, as many free coats and stuff like that. And at the time, it felt like nice and shiny, but also like, oh, I don't think the other kids like need this to happen. And so it's more in retrospect, but it was in that era that it was kind of dawning on me how much... I would go to sleepovers and they would live in like beautiful Victorians or beautiful craftsmen's and not be worried about this stuff. And, and it would never come up for them that they grew out of their shoes and didn't have replacements and stuff like that. And, but you know, I would, when you're a kid, you're super resilient and it didn't bog me down at the time. It was more like, Oh, there's this, there was a dilapidated, like old big white house across the street from the motel we were staying. And it was like one of the only houses in the area. And I remember I made friends with the girl who was my age who lived there. I think her parents were Russian or something like that. And we would just play all the time. Like, it's just like, you make what you can out of what is around you. And we would have so much fun. And then I remember that we were playing one day. She had this, we were taking turns on a scooter that she had. This was like the prime era of like razor scooters sweeping <laughs> the nation. And we would just race up and down this kind of empty motel street. And this feels like so extremely like 2001 because this was this that's the year that this was. I was wearing too long for me bell-bottom sweatpants as I was doing this running and I tripped running after the scooter like running back and forth with her and I tripped and I broke my arm I landed right on my arm I still have the scar on my on my wrist and that I've broken two bones in my life that was the first one and so I just start screaming <laughs> and and I just remember like that my mom was alerted because because the motel manager heard me like heard this little girl screaming across the street <laughs> and so I remember he had to go get my mom we drove to the hospital and I've, there's just something particularly memorable about this time period for me I think because right at the end of this period like right after I broke my arm I think when I still had the cast on is kind of where the light at the end of the tunnel came you know, because it really was cramped, like living in that one bedroom with, uh, or one room little space with two cats and a tired, tired mom who's just trying to figure things out and in a hot plate. And I think that it, it really felt like the breaking of my arm was kind of a climax because the next thing I knew on the jobs boards at OHSU where my mom was working as a medical assistant, she saw that one of the OBGYN residents, her name was Jeannie, was looking for a live-in nanny. Her nanny was moving in with her partner in the same neighborhood, but she she couldn't she couldn't keep on her nanny and she was a single mom who very much needed for her residency somebody who could take care of her two kids who they were, I believe, five and three at the time, Corey and Jake. <laughs> and so I think I still had my cast on when my mom applied for this job. She took us to to meet them. We all went to the beach together to see if it would be a good fit. And then we moved into their house, which happened to luckily be in the same neighborhood as the one that my mom loved, the one that she had me in elementary school at the time in Selwood. And so we moved into their house 
it, the old nanny had lived up in a bedroom on the top floor, but because we had cats and because we were two people, we took over the basement. And so it was, it was, we moved into the basement of this lovely home in this beautiful neighborhood. It was like two blocks from the duck pond that I had always loved and that my mom had always loved. And we got like, I like huge Ikea cheap rugs to like make the basement less <laughs> basementy it was literally me and my mom on two twin beds in the same room but we and we put up shelves and kind of made a mini studio apartment but that kind of that period really turned into it felt so idyllic to me because it was the first time I'd ever lived in a house I'd always lived in in apartments and it was the first time I lived in a house in a really cute neighborhood. And it felt like I had little siblings <laughs> to like boss around and like make put on plays with me. And it like ducks would land on the front lawn and we would walk to school. And so, yeah, like but when I first broke my arm, it was, oh, like the motel manager has to go get my mom. Like this is we're running down this dilapidated old kind of abandoned street. And then by the time I got my cast off, I was enmeshed in this kind of new household. We were still, it was still colored with a lot of things. It was, we were definitely more guests there than not. Like it was when uh, their dad had them, had the kids, when their dad had the kids and Jeannie had like a date we would go to a hotel or a motel again for a night. It was a very upstairs, downstairs moment, but it, at the time for a fourth grader, it felt really nice to be enmeshed in that kind of base. And yeah, so it, it was a moment that really highlighted the differences between us and them, but also that gave me a glimpse into a different kind of life that we didn't have access to before, but we had to gain access to it as the staff and the kid of the staff <laughs> but it it was it was a mixture of things but it was also lovely in a lot of ways and I still we stuck with the Selwood area throughout the rest of my time in Portland through when I graduated high school like that was always that was our home that was our space and so we kind of claimed it for ourselves and we made what we could of what of what we had for ourselves there and then our time with that family ended when my mom did succeed in getting us down to Southern California to spend time with my grandfather who still had cancer. And yeah, so that is, that's, that's the story. I think of that little, that little young little girl, you know, riding on the razor or whatever and breaking <laughs> her arm. And uh, then you write the upstairs, downstairs moment. Before I get to asking you how you believe that moment impacted your life, that, that experience mm -hmm. that a motel to being the uh, the resident of a basement or whatever mm -hmm. in somebody's house is did you ever talk to that little russian girl with the razor again or did she drop out of your life she dropped out of my life and i don't even remember her name at this point but yeah it was like a couple it was like a two-month beautiful friendship <laughs> and just uh yeah and i have no idea what happened to her i i kind of i kind of do wonder and i think about the motel manager too i like i remember so clearly what he looked like he was like big and burly with red hair and like and and he was so concerned about me that day and, and i'm sure that was a bad like knock on the door for my mom mm -hmm. but but yeah it feels very like of the period too of just like i don't know where my kid is she's somewhere down the block hanging out with <laughs> with one of the other families but yeah, I, had, I have no idea what happened to her. So I kind of violated my own rules. So I'm going to circle back to 
Oh, How do you think? Ask as many questions. <laughs> well, I don't want to. I want my listeners to know I'm trying to be honest with you. But tell me, how do you think that that experience has impacted who you are today? Yeah, I think it's it's everywhere. I think that that period of time from going from third grade into fourth grade really defined so much uh, when it came to the specific nature of my life with my mother both in terms of her specifically as she's kind of a vagabond spirit she's kind of like a free spirit like she will always try to be as like independent and uh, feminist and uh, as she can and she's super wonderful and I think it's a really big testament to who she is as a person and who she was as a mom and who she is as a mom that it took me so long to realize that we didn't have as much as other kids. Like I felt spoiled growing up because I had a lot of toys. Like I had like a great cat. I had had loving siblings and, and, and family. And, and it took me until that time to, to realize that there was something else. And it was literally because it's like, Oh, like who else is living in a motel right now? Like who else is living like without a kitchen and, and all of that. And at the time I'm like, okay, yeah, this is just what we're doing. This is like, and you just kind of follow it and you kind of go with the flow. And I think the fact that I could go with the flow for so long, and I even did for so long after this, it's kind of more in retrospect that a lot of class issues come up and, and you realize some of the nuances of what you were feeling in that time. But I think she gave me a lot of resilience with that that it took me so long to catch on. <laughs> and then when I did catch on, it was when things became so undeniable. And I think that it really does follow me through adulthood, just in terms of even when I was in college, when I, I went to spring break at a friend of mine who lives in Boston's house and like her house just felt huge to me. <laughs> I was like, this is where you live. And it's not like she even was like a wealthy classmate. She was, she considered herself firmly middle-class, but I think that that period just really highlighted for me how many people who don't think they have a lot have so much and how even just living in like that was a time it was not a big house that that we were staying in when we were nannying it's not that this family wasn't even wealthy or anything but living in a house that's when it occurred to me like how crazy that felt it felt like the the wildest world jump and so I think that is what impacts me today it still is a reminder like every time I enter a big house I'm like wow <laughs> like I really grew up not in that it's a good perspective to keep all right well last question again a little bit of a violation I'm hoping uh, is your mother still alive yes she's still she's still very much around she's still kicking good lives yeah. in her her own house now <laughs> loves it ask if she's, you know, she's not in the, the motel anymore right? no but, no she's in she she had some living in a car stuff through my mid-20s but she is very much in her own home now it's very much her like she's made it her own she has a beautiful garden she's obsessed with she's she knows everybody in the neighborhood she's doing great great that's good to hear well, thank you, Alana. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to know a little bit more about you. I've been tracking your career a bit, again, because of my daughter, and I know you're highly successful, and that's kind of fun. But more importantly than that, the fact that you're resilient really makes me happy because uh, life takes all of us in different directions and different bounces. And it's good yeah. to know that, you, that you, I'm sure you, no matter what happens, you're going to be strong. So that makes me uh -huh. happy. 
thank you. It really, yeah. Thank you so much for the time and the space. And I've been following you and your life and, and career and retirement as well. And so I'm excited to spend this time together. Thank you very much. All right. I'd like to thank my guest, Alana Bennett, the great Alana Bennett. I also like to thank my sponsors, Sidelining Publishing and LaughSaver.com. So I'm going to end this show with Susan Salador's classic, Love Reveille, because I think what Alana's talking about is a love story between her mother and herself and the larger issues of the world. So until next time, this is Jay Rehack asking you all to please stay safe out there and try not to hurt anybody. Love Reveille, supposed to wake up our hearts. I love you, I love you, I love you Every single day I hear you, I hear you, I hear you And all that you have to say I see you, I see you, I see you And all the kind things That's the truth.